Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings. I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to our podcast series, Finding Home. I've been gradually pushing further into the 20th century over the past several episodes. It's time now to bring the topic of immigration into the new century. Irish immigration to Cleveland rarely stopped from the Canal era onward, but the pace did ebb and flow. Another immigration wave began to rise in the 1910s and crested in the 1920s. Economic pressures pushed every immigration wave, but political circumstances were also a factor this time. The immigration waves of the 1860s and the 1880s had been Mayo and even Ackle-centric, occasioned by bad weather and growing conditions in the far west of Ireland. During the 1910s and 1920s, immigration came from all over Ireland, though a significant number of folks from Ackle Parish continued to join relatives who had come to Cleveland in the previous decades. During the Great Famine and the more localized famine times, family groups often immigrated together but teenagers and young adults on their own were common in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Many of the Irish immigrants who came to Cleveland in the 1910s and 1920s were young single men who were escaping conflict. They or their families wanted them to avoid conscription into the British Army during World War I or to avoid what seemed certain to be another failed rebellion in 1916. I know that some families sent sons to Cleveland for both these reasons. But travel was difficult during the First World War when armed submarines were crisscrossing the Atlantic Ocean. The actual numbers may have been small. More folks left in the later 1910s as rebellions spread in Ireland and the British Black and Tans terrorized the countryside. The largest group to leave were young men who had been enemy combatants during the Irish Civil War in 1922 and 1923. Unwilling to accept the treaty that partitioned Ireland, many immigrated rather than surrender at the end of the Civil War. Since they came to the U.S. for political reasons, their arrival boosted organizations that supported Irish nationalism. Groups dedicated to the cause of Irish freedom had existed almost continuously in Cleveland since at least 1864. Nationalist groups had sponsored a summer fundraising picnic since 1864. The groups reformed themselves from time to time, realigning themselves with movements in the larger world. Whether they were called the Fenians, the Land League, the Irish National League, the Irish Nationalists, or the Friends of Irish Freedom, their goal was the same to help free Ireland from British rule. Aside from the Fenians, most of the groups promoted freedom via the ballot box. But alongside these groups, the Clan na which advocated armed rebellion, may have operated in the shadows. It's difficult to pinpoint the origins of the secretive Clan na in Cleveland. After all, secret organizations want to remain secret. It's possible that the Clan Nagale began to operate in Cleveland in the late 1860s after the collapse of the Fenian movement. On the other hand, as Bishop Gilmore asserted, P.K. Walsh may have organized the first Clan Nagale chapters here in the 1880s under the cloak of the Land League or its successor, the Irish National League. 
1938, some Clevelanders erroneously thought that the nationalist picnic tradition began in 1900, but perhaps the Clan Nagale was reinvigorated that year. In any event, in the early 1900s, the Irish nationalists were named in the newspapers as the picnic sponsors. The Irish Nationalist Party in Ireland was advocating for home rule at that time, but Cleveland's Irish Nationalists clearly identified themselves to a plain dealer reporter as the, quote, physical force party, unquote. Perhaps the Irish Nationalists were the Clan Nagale. Taylor John Gallagher, who had immigrated to the U.S. in about 1901, was publicly associated with the Irish Nationalists in the newspaper yet a 1914 membership roster that he compiled and saved was clearly labeled Clan Nagale. The roster is now in the collection of the Western Reserve Historical Society. Another nationalist organization name appears in Cleveland newspapers in the mid-1910s and 1920s. The Friends of Irish Freedom was founded in New York after the Easter Rising of 1916. The New York founders of the Friends of Irish Freedom had included known Clan Nagale leaders. The physical force supporters in Cleveland may have gravitated to the Friends of Irish Freedom as well. The Friends took over Cleveland's summer picnic and other nationalist activities in the late teens. In June 1919, the Plain Dealer reported that six Clevelanders attended the organization's state convention. Two of the delegates had previously been identified as Irish nationalists. John Graham, who worked at the Holiday House Hotel, had been an organizer of the 1907 picnic, while lawyer James P. Mooney had been mentioned as president of the Irish Nationalists in 1910. John Walsh, bailiff for Judge Martin Ferran, was another Cleveland delegate. Walsh, Graham, and Mooney all seemed to have immigrated to Cleveland in the 1880s. Another delegate was Martin L. Sweeney. The lawyer and future congressman and judge had been born in Cleveland to Irish-born parents. A new leader associated with the Friends of Irish Freedom was Mrs. Adelia Christie. Christie was mentioned in the Plain Dealer in March 1920 as president of the Freedom Group's Ladies' Auxiliary. Christie was also a national officer for the Ladies' Auxiliary of the Ancient Order of Hibernians. So-called Ladies' Auxiliaries were playing an ever more prominent role in the city's Irish organizations at the time. In October 1920, the Friends of Irish Freedom split with Irish leader Eamon de Valera. De Valera, who became president of the Irish Republic in 1921, formed a new organization, the American Association for the Recognition of the Irish Republic, or AARIR. <laughs> de Valera relied on the AARIR to put pressure on the U.S. government as Ireland moved toward full independence. De Valera visited Cleveland in 1919 and again in 1928 and 1930 and kept in direct contact with Cleveland fundraisers. Clevelander Adelia Christie was on the founding council for the AARIR. Other Clevelanders who played leadership roles at the national, state, and local levels included Hibernian Mary Kay Duffy and siblings John G. and Mary Ellen Murphy. The Murphys were also Hibernians and were active in Democratic Party politics, as was an AARIR state leader, Thomas Cole Oil Masterson. But just as de Valera was steering Americans toward support for the AARIR, events in Ireland grew ever more complex. 
the death in October 1920 of Terence McSweeney, Lord Mayor of Cork, after a hunger strike of 74 days, galvanized support for Irish freedom worldwide. However, the treaty signed between Great Britain and Ireland in December 1921 allowed Northern Ireland to remain part of the United Kingdom. Civil war broke out in December 1922 between pro-treaty provisional government, also known as the Free State, and the anti-treaty Irish Republican Army. When a ceasefire was called in May 1923, many of the anti-treaty forces were sent to detention camps. Numerous individuals chose to immigrate rather than submit. IRA combatants who came to Cleveland in the late teens or early 1920s sought like-minded company in the Clan Nagale. The Clan Nagale was briefly reformed as the McNevin Club, named after a young Ireland hero. Bailiff John Walsh served as president. But after the death of Terence McSweeney in October 1920, the club changed its name. Beginning in about 1922, the McSweeney Club became the sponsor of the summer picnic often held at Puritus Springs, an amusement park on the west side. In Ireland, the struggle between pro- and anti-treaty advocates turned deadly. But in Cleveland, the proponents of the ballot box and those of physical force were amicable, and the group memberships often overlapped. The McSweeney Club and the AARIR co-sponsored a dance at West 65th in Detroit in 1925, for instance. The McSweeney Club operated openly in Cleveland in the late 1920s and early 1930s out of a space at West 65th in Detroit. Taylor John Gallagher's papers include another Clan Nagale roster from the years 1929 to 1930. Some IRA veterans put their names on a foreign reserve list, promising to return to Ireland and continue the fight against partition if needed. About 21 folks from Ackle and the Newport area signed the reserve list in Cleveland. John Gallagher's papers also include correspondence with IRA veteran Sean Lynchahan, who remained in Ackle. Gallagher asked for Lynchahan's help in assessing the reliability of the reservists. Sean Lynchahan was a brother of Pat Lynch, longtime president of the Westside Irish American Club. Under the name of the Clan Nagale, members of the McSweeney Club, with assistance from the AARIR, paid for a monument to be erected in Ireland for a fellow IRA veteran. The immigrants of the 1910s and 1920s had an impact on other Irish organizations as well. They brought Gaelic football to Cleveland in the 1920s, and they helped to found the city's most enduring Irish social club, the Westside Irish American Club but the sports scene evolved first. Gaelic football had been promoted in Ireland since the late 19th century as an expression of Irish nationalist pride. The close connection between Gaelic football and the cause of Irish nationalism was heightened further in the 1920s. In 1920 in Ireland, the Royal Irish Constabulary killed 12 spectators and a player at a Gaelic football match in Croke Park in Dublin. A Gaelic football match featured prominently at an Irish picnic held in Cleveland in 1920. As reported in The Plain Dealer, the players, and I quote, had starred in the game in their native land and wished to perpetuate the game in the United States by engaging in contests under Gaelic rules with teams from other cities, end quote. Throughout the 1920s, various football teams made fleeting appearances in Cleveland's newspapers. 
the names shifted. The Young Ireland Gaelic Football Team, the Municipal Gaelic Football Association, and the Cleveland Gaelic Football League. But it proved difficult to find enough players for sustained team competition. In Cleveland, some Gaelic football players decided to play soccer as well. Even though soccer and other British sports were anathema to the Gaelic Athletic Association in Ireland. Amateur soccer was beginning to emerge in the U.S. in the 1920s, drawing on immigrants from a variety of soccer-playing countries. There were simply more soccer teams to play against. In Cleveland, the Shamrock Club was the longest-lasting hybrid football soccer team. The Shamrocks played exhibition games of Gaelic football, but also competed in a national amateur soccer league. They won a National Soccer Cup tournament in 1932. Most of the Shamrocks had immigrated in the 1910s and the 1920s. For instance, Pat Lynch and Art McChrystal came to Cleveland in 1915 and 1917, respectively. Brian Gallagher, an IRA veteran, arrived in 1923. The team was managed by Frank Gallagher, who immigrated in 1926. Gaelic football was not organized in Cleveland under the rules of the Gaelic Athletic Association until Henry Cavanaugh arrived here in September 1930. Born in County Sligo, Ireland, Cavanaugh was one of five brothers who played Gaelic football for Kilglass Parish, which won the County Sligo Football Championship in 1930. Henry Cavanaugh and his younger brother Leo immigrated to the U.S. together shortly after the Sligo Championship game. Cavanaugh was dismayed by the lack of organization and discipline here, noting in his colorful way that it, and I quote, was foul and foreign to a GAA makeup and order, end quote. He found a kindred spirit in player and later coach Pat Duffy, and set about organizing the sport along GAA lines in Cleveland. He also found an ally in Pat Lynch, former Shamrock Club player and longtime president of the Westside Irish American Club. Lynch took an early turn as president of the GAA in Cleveland. Kavanaugh dreamed of organizing the Midwest and North America and gaining affiliation with the GAA's governing body in Ireland but demographics and events worked against him in the 1930s, though he would succeed later. Legislation had already begun to restrict European immigration in the mid-1920s. With the onset of the Great Depression in the 1930s and of World War II, Irish immigration slowed to a trickle. The GAA structure of the early 1930s could not be maintained. However, the Shamrock Club continued to play soccer and Gaelic football into the 1940s, helping to keep the Gaelic game alive in Cleveland during those years. Shamrock Field at West 60th and Herman Avenue was the team's home field. Many of the folks who belonged to the Clan na Gael or who played Gaelic football began in the late 1920s to envision a new social club where recent immigrants could mix with second and perhaps even third generation Irish Americans. An Irish-American social and welfare club founded in 1919 had petered out. But with the influx of so many single immigrants in the 1920s, conditions had changed. Some of those who took part in the club discussions had been in the U.S. since the 1880s. They were Took-assisted immigrants who had put down extended family roots. 
For instance, some of the conversations took place on picnic benches in Edgewater Park, where Thomas Cole Oil Masterson worked. Masterson's American-born nieces, Helen Hinkle Machat, Coletta Masterson Jablonski, and Mary Masterson O'Malley, along with Mary's sister-in-law, Betty Woods, became excited about the prospect of a new club that was open to women as well as to men. Mary Masterson O'Malley was married to P.J. O'Malley, an emerging labor leader who was an IRA veteran and a 1920s arrival. Club conversations included other IRA veterans, such as Ned Gallagher, who also arrived in the 1920s, along with his brother Brian, the Shamrock Club player. The broadening circle included football players Art McChrystal and Pat Lynch. There were many others, too many to name, all interconnected by overlapping interests and family ties, and the Westside Irish American Club was born. Pat Lynch would shepherd the new group as president for 35 years. Lynch had arrived in Cleveland with his brother Neil in 1915, served in World War I, and worked in this city as a deputy sheriff and sidewalk inspector. But the club was his family. The club headquarters at 6415 Detroit Avenue teemed with activity in the 1930s, with dances, practices for drill teams and fife and drum units, float building, fundraisers for Irish priests and causes, and picnic planning as the West Side Club became involved with the annual summer picnic. A new wave of immigration was already producing a new wave of Irish community leaders. In the 1920s, older leaders such as John Gallagher, Adelia Christie, and Thomas Masterson were joined by such new arrivals as Henry Cavanaugh and Pat Lynch, and many more who gave of their time and energy not only to support the Irish Republic, but also to ensure that Irish sports and culture would flourish in their new home. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Lynch. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.